21. This is the evening the Lord has made. You shall rejoice in it. It's a commandment, folks. So, one more time. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, that's better. Well, tonight we're going to be talking about, quote, the road to man, unquote. What we're taking a look at is, is there really any such, hello? Yep, there it is. Uh, is there really any such thing as, quote, the road to man? You see, the reason for the title is, quote, the road to man, unquote, is the terminology that evolutionists have been using uh, to describe the supposed evolution of human beings from apes. So, for instance, maybe some of you are familiar with this. You see, do these images look familiar? Uh-huh. Do you realize that these very same images have been used since 1960 to try to convince people they evolved from apes? And so they call this, quote, the road to man. You see the little ape becoming the bigger ape and finally the human. And so this is their terminology, quote, the road to man, unquote. But you'll notice that I have outside of that put three question marks. And so tonight what we're really going to be looking at is, is there really any such thing as the road to man? Now, let's start off with, when you do see these images, which again are iconic and have been used for 60 years, uh, when you see them, you must admit there is a certain logic, there's a certain plausibility to what you see here, promoting the concept of a little ape becoming a bigger ape, becoming a human. Y you have to admit that. However, I have a question for everybody here. When they show you these things, which seem logical, seem plausible when you look at them, please tell me, why don't they ever show you the little fish walking out of the water that supposedly became the ape? Hello? You have to understand something. There's nothing new about evolutionary concepts. There are new words. There's new, big, highfalutin scientific words. But the fact of the matter is, the basic concepts of evolution have been around for thousands of years. There was a Greek philosopher 2,600 years ago that said that fish walked out of the water and became people. They're teaching exactly the same thing today. They just use different words. But could it be they don't show you this because if you saw this, you might not believe that? Could that be? You see, what you're looking at here, this is a form of magic. It's not black magic. It's illusion. It's stage magic. And it's an illusion to get you to believe that what they're teaching is true. But tonight we're going to take a look at this. It is so simple to debunk this kind of thing that I can literally teach a child to do it. So let's start taking a look at this concept. When we talk about this subject, we're talking really about the word anthropology, the study of man. But we want to take a look and see, did people really evolve from apes? Now, when evolutionary anthropologists attempt to tell people, deceive people into believing they evolved from apes, they use four categories of physical evidence. The four categories are illustrated here on the screen. The first one, category one here, is shown by the skull fragments of Piltdown Man. This is called the proof by hoaxes. The proof by hoaxes. The second category, shown here by the illustration of the Tooth of Nebraska Man, this is called the proof by misrepresentations. Misrepresentations. The third category, shown down here by the skull of this Australopithecus, 
Uh, by the way, I will use a few big words tonight, but as you know from last night, if I run into a big word I think you might have a problem with or not know, I will always explain what it means, okay? But uh, this word Australopithecus is really quite simple. I love taking big scientific words and breaking them down where it's so easy to understand them. And this big old word Australopithecus, what does it really mean? Well, the word Austral is simply the ancient word for southern. Australia means southern land. The aurora australis are the southern lights. And so austral just means southern. And pithecus, well, that's the ancient word for ape. And so this big old word australopithecus just means dead southern ape. See how simple this stuff is when you just break it down? Now, where did you get the name dead southern ape? It's really quite simple. When we found the bones, they were dead. But the bones were first found in Africa, but named by Europeans. Well, Africa is south of Europe, and therefore they were the bones of dead southern apes. And I have a suggestion for you, by the way. Tomorrow, if you'd like to kind of impress uh, family, neighbors, and so forth, I want you to go over and knock on the door. When they open the door, you say, did you know I'm Austral? You do live in the South, don't you? Oh, come on, folks. Think about me. I live down in Orlando, Florida. I have to drive 10 hours north to get to the deep south. The third category is just the bones of dead apes. The fourth category, shown here by the skull of this Neanderthal, that's the category the proof by the bones of dead people. Neanderthals have always been classified as Homo sapiens since they were first found in the 1850s. And so we have four categories of proof, hoaxes, misrepresentation, bones of dead apes, bones of dead people. Now, we are going to debunk all of these, but uh, what I'm going to do is go out of order. I'm going to start with number two first because it only takes a couple of minutes and then we're finished for the rest of the night with that one. Let's just take a look at misrepresentations. Here we see the illustration of the tooth of Nebraska man. Now, the tooth of Nebraska man was found in our state of Nebraska in the year 1922 by evolutionists digging at a location in our state of Nebraska. The tooth was claimed to be the tooth of a prehuman subhuman living at some time in the distant past in what is now the state of Nebraska. Based upon finding this one tooth, an illustrator for the Illustrated London News actually drew what Nebraska man looked like. And his wife, or companion, I'm not sure about that one, um, his horses, his camels, and his club, all from one tooth. Come on, folks, that's just stirring, isn't it? Of course, five years later, in 1927, evolutionists digging at the same location in Nebraska proved categorically that this was not the fossil tooth of an extinct species of prehuman or subhuman. It was, in fact, the fossil tooth of an extinct species of pig. Therefore, this is the tooth of porcine man. He was a real porker. <laughs> Take one you like, throw the rest of the way. Anyway, so what are misrepresentations? The tooth was real, but it was misrepresented to begin with and then later corrected. This is what science does. Science is supposed to be self-correcting, that if mistakes are made, you do correct them later. So that's misrepresentations. Let's now go back to hoaxes. Now, first of all, what does the word hoax actually mean? 
Isn't a hoax a fake, a fraud, man-made, taint real, you know, right? Well, let's take a look at Piltdown Man. Now, the fragments of Piltdown Man were found in England in 1912 in an area that gave it the name Piltdown, but it is near Canterbury Cathedral in deep southeast England. And the bones were taken to the British Museum of Natural History in London and proclaimed to be proof of human evolution, the bones of a dead, extinct uh, species of prehuman, subhuman, living at some time in the distant past in deep southeast England until 1953. Now, let's just take a look at the story. Now, these are drawings of the actual fragments of the skull of Piltdown Man as found as 1912. Again, this was claimed by evolutionists that the British Museum of Natural History, the, well, certainly one of the single greatest natural history museums in the world, be proof of human evolution, even put on display as such. However, in 1953, the evolutionists at the British Museum finally admitted to the public that, in fact, the jaw is not human. The jaw is actually that of a 10 to an 11-year-old orangutan that had died about 500 years ago, probably from Borneo, but could be from Indonesia. The teeth are not human. The teeth are actually fossil chimpanzee teeth. I'm going to show you a picture of the real teeth, but please notice when I do, the molars are absolutely flat. And the reason is because they were filed down with a modern metal file to make them look more human-like. The skull fragments are, in fact, from a human being. However, there's a blow from a modern pickaxe at the back of the skull here. Today we now know this is a skull of a human being that died from the bubonic plague in medieval times and dug out of a medieval graveyard. So here we have an orangutan jaw, chimpanzee teeth, and a human skull. How you doing? Hello? Let's take a look at a picture of the parts themselves. Please notice the molars. Notice how absolutely flat they are because they have been filed down with a modern metal file. You could actually see iron fragments from the file in the teeth. Now, again, the jaw is an orangutan. So I mentioned that these pieces were found in 1912, but that the evolutionists at uh, the British Museum of Natural History finally admitted to the public in 1953 that they really weren't original, that they were in fact a hoax, correct? But here's the problem, folks. You see, they knew it was a hoax in 1923. They didn't admit it to the public until 30 years later. Did you hear that? They knew it was a hoax in 1923, but they did not admit it to the public until 30 years later. Tonight you're going to find out something. Evolutionists love 30 years. Now, I also want to point out, these are the names of two men you really need to remember, at least for the evening. Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, Jesuit priest, and Dr. Davidson Black, Ph.D. These two men were actually involved with the finding of the fragments of Piltdown Men. Now, who was Teilhard de Chardin? He was a Jesuit priest in the Catholic Church, but he believed in evolution. He believed in evolution so strongly that the Pope forbid him to publish. 
And he was one of the two men involved with finding the fragments of Piltdown Man. But Davidson Black also was involved, and you need to remember that name. And I just want to review what we have here. A medieval human skull, a 500-year-old orangutan jaw, again, probably from Borneo, and filed down chimpanzee fossil teeth, correct? Now, I want to talk about the method by which evolutionists attempt to prove evolution. This is their favorite method of proof, but it is the second worst method of proof in science. But they use this method, and I'm going to explain more about it, but they use this method. It doesn't matter what they're talking about when they talk about the evolution of anything. I don't care whether it's roses, elephants, you know, dinosaurs, people. It's their favorite method of proof, but it's the second worst method of proof in science. It's called the proof by ranking, R-A-N-K-I-N-G, ranking. Now, what does this word ranking mean? It means to put things in a logical order or a logical sequence. So to rank means to put in a logical order or a logical sequence. And again, it doesn't matter what they're talking about. It's their favorite method of proof. Now, it's illustrated here. Please understand, by the way, this comes from an evolutionary source. Remember last night, I proved scientifically, I hope, that the Earth and the universe are only 6,000 years old. That's what I believe scientifically. That's what I believe biblically, right? So the dates you see up here, I do not agree with because this comes from an evolutionary source. But I'm trying to illustrate their methodology. Somebody use their slide. Now, in the case here tonight, we're talking about human evolution. What do they do? They take the skulls of various creatures. They take the skull, in the case of human evolution, they take the skull of a gibbon, a chimpanzee, an orangutan, a gorilla, a human being. And they make the single most meticulous measurements you've ever seen in your life, as is illustrated up here. They measure everything you can measure, and then they measure it six times. Hello? And they make it look really scientific. But then what do they do? They simply put it in a logical order by size and shape. Now that's illustrated at the bottom. Now the gorilla skull is there only for comparison. It is not a part of the sequence. However, you'll notice the skulls here from A, B, C, D, E, F, correct? Now in the middle here, we have what's called the key or legend meaning it identifies what each of these skulls is supposed to be, correct? And let's just take a look at what we got here. Now, skull A, Australopithecus, or dead southern ape, correct? Now, again, supposedly a half a million to a million years old. Again, this is an evolutionary slide. I don't agree with it, but, you know. B, B is Pithecanthropus erectus, supposedly 200 to 500,000 years old. C, Homo sapiens, supposedly 100 to 200,000 years old. D, Neanderthal, supposedly 50 to 100,000 years old. E, Homo sapien variety Neanderthaliensis, and supposedly 50,000 years old. And F here is modern Homo sapien. Now, I've gone through what's up there. I'd like to ask you a question. Do any of you... Remember this creature called Pithecanthropus erectus being taught to you in school? Anybody here just vaguely remember? I, I, don't worry if you don't. I just, I'm just curious. Okay. 
Now, let me explain about this creature, Pithecanthropus erectus. As a Christian, when you study the Bible, bless you, when you study the Bible, you're studying about the life of the Theanthropos. Now, who is the Theanthropos? Well, in Greek, the word theos means God. Theology is the study of God, correct? Anthropos is the ancient word for man. Anthropology is the study of man, correct? So when you study the Bible, you're studying about the Theanthropos. Who is the Theanthropos? I'm sorry, I don't have any Kleenex that I can... Oh, there it is. Grab a hold, because it'll go right through that shirt. Believe me, you got it on your hands. It's not just your ch chest, I can tell you right now. You know, I, I talk about face masks. Trying to stop viruses with a face mask is like trying to stop a mosquito with a chain-link fence. It's absolutely true. Um, now, who is the Theanthropos? He is the person who is 100% God and... 100% man. That's Jesus Christ. He is the Theanthropos, okay? So now let's take a look. Who is the Pithecanthropus erectus? Well, Pitha simply means ape. Anthropos, man. Erectus means walks upright. So this is the ape man who walks upright. See how simple this stuff is if you just break it down, right? Now, if you don't remember this creature by its scientific name, how many of you might possibly remember learning about this creature from its common name? The common name is Java Man. Java Man. And we're not talking about Starbucks. Hello? Anybody remember Java Man when you were in school? Ah, thank you for... I have a hand, at least one. I have a witness. Java Man. Now, that's the common name for Pithecanthropus erectus. But now let's just take a look about this creature. What's the true story? Java man, originally called Pithecanthropus erectus, meaning the ape man who walks upright, is now called Homo erectus, or man who walks upright. Now, you're going to find out some interesting stuff about this term Homo erectus, but for the moment it just means man who walks upright. Now, was found, made from a few teeth and a single skull cap found in 1891 along the banks of the Solo River in Java, Indonesia. The pieces were found by the Dutch anatomist Dr. Eugene Dubois, M.D. Now, he was an M.D., but he was a disciple of the German evolutionist Dr. Ernst Haeckel. If you are not familiar with Dr. Haeckel, you want to become aware. I have a DVD on carbon-14 and why it doesn't work, and for free I throw on a presentation about Dr. Haeckel because he is so important, even though you may never have heard of him. He is arguably the third most important evolutionist of the 1800s, behind Charles Darwin and Thomas Huxley. He's number three. Now, let me explain about Dr. Haeckel for a second. He had an earned Ph.D., he taught at Jena University for a long period of time, um, but he was born into a theoretically Christian German home that was Christian, but was never a Christian. 
Um, and he did believe in evolution, and he was teaching evolution before Charles Darwin was teaching it. However, however, when Charles Darwin, yes, I know that's a distraction, dear, but I can't do anything about it. So, um, so Charles Darwin published Origin of the Species in the fall of 1859, and it was an instant success. It sold out, the first edition sold out on the first day. Uh, New York Times bestseller. But why? It was not a book of science. It was a book that taught the superiority of whites over blacks. Remember that this is England. This is the time of Queen Victoria. This is the time when the sun never set on the British Empire. And it was a book simply talking about white supremacy. Very popular. And it taught that evolution was true and therefore there was no God. And in England, in the mid-1800s, the English were looking for a reason to believe that there was no God. So the book had a lot of appeal. Because of that, of course, it was then translated into several European languages. When it was translated into German, Dr. Haeckel read it. And when he read it, he went from being an evolutionist to a militant evolutionist. And he would invent three great frauds. He would invent a single-celled creature called a monera, or monoron. And uh, interestingly, Dr. Haeckel was a very good artist. Uh, and he actually drew several species of these single-celled creatures, what they looked like. And in one case, he even showed the life cycle of how it reproduced. To this day, we have never found, alive or in the fossil record, any such single-celled creature. He just made it up. Oh, you can see it in my book. I, in, in my book on creation, if anybody wants it, um, but I have pictures. Um, he invented another great uh, hoax. Um, he invented Pithecanthropus allowless. Now, what does that mean? It means the speechless ape man. Because Charles Darwin, Thomas Huxley, Ernst Haeckel believed that the only significant difference between apes and people was that we could talk and they could not. And so he he invented this creature called Pithecanthropus allowless. And even though he was a very good artist, which is a unique thing with a PhD, but, but in this case, he hired a local artist to draw what this creature looked like. One man, one woman, and a baby. Now, remember that Dr. Haeckel is German. And I know that none of you in this room tonight are going to believe this. But in the mid to late 1800s, scientists could actually rent an auditorium, put up posters, and sell tickets to have people come hear them speak. Hello? Yeah, they could actually rent a hall, put up posters, billboards, and so forth, and charge tickets for people to come and hear them teach. I just want you to think about it, that's all. Um, but he went around Germany with these things, teaching blue-collar German workers that evolution was true. And remember that a lot of people believed him. Guys, well, one of his name was Adolf Hitler. Now, this picture of Pithecanthropus allowless, it's very interesting. Remember, again, he's German. Now, the man in the picture is standing up with his back kind of towards the audience, and his arms are up, and he's got enough hair for three gorillas. But he has his face turned to the audience, so you can sort of see the face. And on the face of the man, there's a German handlebar mustache. Come on, he knows his audience. <laughs> yeah, 
Now, the woman is sitting with a very long, horse-like face. You can't see a lot. The baby, you really can't see much at all. Um, but he said this was the creature from which all Europeans had evolved. To this day, we have never found any physical evidence to support this creature whatsoever. He just made it up. And then, of course, he made up another great fraud, which I'm sure was on the tip of the tongue of everybody when you walked in here tonight, right? It's called embryonic recapitulation. Right? You were thinking about that on the way in, right? Well, if you don't remember what that is, it's also called ontogeny begets phylogeny. That's another tw tongue twister for you. But, but you do know about it, I think. How many of you remember seeing the drawings that Dr. Haeckel put together? And he said that when we were conceived, we all looked alike as young embryos. That whether you were a salamander, a fish, a chicken, or a human, a pig, you all looked the same. But then, as you developed in your embryo, you would then recapitulate, that is to live through the various evolutionary stages of your development, and you were only born whatever it was you were, okay? And uh, so he would show this embryo eventually becoming a baby, and another one becoming a pig, and another one becoming a salamander, and so forth. Anybody remember those pictures at all? Ah, another hand raised. Thank you. And thank you. Thank you. Now, we have known since, well, actually, we knew even at the time of Hegel uh, that it wasn't true, but it was absolutely scientifically proven in 1915 it wasn't true. However, those pictures are still being used today in modern textbooks in junior high schools, high schools, and colleges around this country as well as other places. I saw them myself at an elite high school in Karelia. Karelia is the area of Russia right next to Finland. And I had the opportunity to teach for two full days in every single science class in this, this elite high school. These kids are smart. They took a lot of tests to go to this high school because it's the best in the whole state, as we would call it. And after I had taught about Dr. Haeckel and his drawings not being true, at the end of one class, a strikingly pretty young lady stood up, went back to the back of the class, looked down at her teacher and said, and what are you going to teach us now? We'll never forget that. But the fact of the matter is, the drawings are not true. But I'll tell you, they're still being used today by a group called Planned Parenthood, trying to teach ladies that they uh, are just having a jellyfish removed. Yes, that's Dr. Haeckel. Now, Dr. Dubois was a student of Dr. Haeckel, a disciple. Both men believed in evolution, and both men believed that if Dubois, who was Dutch, would go to what was in those days the Dutch East Indies, we call Indonesia, but a part of the Dutch country at that time, they believed that if he went there, he would find the missing link between apes and people. And remember that being Dutch, he didn't even need a passport because it was the same country. And I'd like to talk with you for just a moment about your Christian commitment. Challenge your Christian commitment for just a moment. Dr. Dubois was so committed to the philosophy of evolution. I'm sorry, did I do something? Ah, sorry about that. Oh, that is better. Thank you. Yeah, I thought, I thought it was just my brain, too. I, just, I thought I had a short circuit there. I don't know. <laughs> but challenge your commitment. Dr. Dubois was so committed to the idea that if he went to Indonesia, he would find the missing link. 
being a medical doctor. He volunteered to be a medical doctor in the Dutch Army to get a free ticket. Come on, folks, that's commitment. Hello? Now, he announced that he had found the missing link in 1891. However, he had arrived in December of 1887, so four years later he says he's found the missing link. Now, I thought you might be really interested in knowing about his archaeological team. It consisted of two Dutch engineers, prison convict laborers, and two Dutch army corporals to watch the convicts. <laughs> Come on, aren't you impressed by that archaeological team? Come on, man, I'm telling you. Now, I, I, I know that you're, you're not going to believe this. I know, I, I know you can't believe this, but in, in 1891, they didn't have cell phones. In 1891, he had to use a telegram. Anybody remember a telegram? You know. um, but he wants to tell Dr. Haeckel, his mentor back in Germany, of his find. And he has to use a telegram, and it's halfway around the world, and it's very expensive because they charge you per letter. But he sends a brief message to his mentor back in Germany, Eureka, I have found it. And Dr. Haeckel... Uh, wants to telegram back and uh, congratulate Dr. Dubois, you know, on this find, correct? I thought you might be interested to see what the telegram said. Dr. Haeckel telegrammed back to Dr. Dubois and said, from the inventor of Pithecanthropus to his happy discoverer. Maybe I need to repeat that. From the inventor of Pithecanthropus to his happy discoverer. You see, Dr. Haeckel had already come up with a name. He sent Dubois there to find the pieces to go with it, correct? <laughs> but Dr. Dubois forgot to tell people a few things about his find. And uh, he forgot to tell them for, I'll bet you've already figured this out, 30 years. But in 1921, shortly before he died, he admitted the following. He had actually found a single large ape-like skull cap. Today we believe it's a giant gibbon. He found three teeth, but only one was human. The other two were from an orangutan. That's all he had in 1891. Now, he did find a human thigh bone one year later in 1892, but it was 50 feet away from where he had actually found the skull cap, as illustrated by the drawing down here. And he forgot to tell anybody that one year earlier in 1890, he had found two totally normal human skulls at the same location. He was so concerned that anybody would find out about these skulls, he hid them under his bed. But 30 years later, he admitted, this is a hoax. This creature does not exist. And it has today been renamed Homo erectus, correct? Now, I want to explain to you the term Homo erectus, man who walks upright. This term is today the uh, evolutionary anthropologist File 13. It's a circular filing cabinet. It's a garbage bin. Hello? It's a file 13. Anything they find of a fossil bone that they think has anything to do with human evolution from apes to people, but they cannot specifically identify the creature, they throw it into Homo erectus. It's just a garbage can. 
And let's take this a little further. Uh, by the way, I want to show you some skulls, and so I don't want anybody to be upset. I thought I'd warn you ahead of time. I know some of you might have had dinner. I don't want to have any sensitive people here have a problem. Um, but I do want you to remember this chart before I do. Let's think about this. A through F. Now, A is Australopithecus, supposedly dead, so then eight and a half million to a million years old, correct? But B is Pithecanthropus erectus, but that is a hoax. That is something that never existed, is that correct? Oh, so technically, it ought not to be here, is that correct? Now, C is Homo sapien, but the last time I looked, that's us. And D is Neanderthal, but again, they've always been classified as Homo sapiens, so that's just us. And uh, E here is Homo sapien variety Neanderthaliensis, which again is just us. And F here is modern Homo sapien, which is most assuredly us. So what do I have here? One dead southern ape, something that never existed, and four humans. How am I doing? Let's start taking a look at those skulls. Now, here we see a skull, and uh, I told you I was going to do this. I hope it doesn't upset anybody, but personally, I find this scary. I really do. I'm not scared by the skull. That doesn't bother me a bit. What I am scared about is the source. Please notice that this comes from a series. I, I will only show you two of them, but there's a complete series. But this comes from Stones and Bones, Los Angeles County Unified School District, Los Angeles, California. That ought to scare you right there. But this comes from a series of photographs used to teach elementary school children they evolved from apes. That is what I find scary about it. Now, this is identified here as Synanthropus pekinensis, which means China man from Peking. Remember, Sino is China, Anthropos, man, Peking, the ancient capital name, today Beijing, but commonly called Peking man. But it's Synanthropus Pekinensis, China man from Peking. Now, with that in mind, does anybody have a problem with me showing you the photograph of this skull? Nobody's got a problem? That's really funny because the truth is you ought to stand up and stone me. You see, that is not the photograph of the skull of Peking men. That is the photograph of the model of the skull of Peking men. Let's just talk about Peking men for just a moment. Now, after World War I was over, evolutionary believing anthropologists went to China. They went to Peking, then the capital, got permission to go out outside the capital to some caves and do some digging. Now. This is not the original fragments. This is simply a museum reproduction of the original fragments that were found. First of all, I would like to ask you, does this look like that? Again, I'll ask the question. That's what they found, but not the original pieces. And uh, that's the photograph. It's a filled-in model, is that correct? Oh, and let's talk about these fragments. Now, Davidson Black, you remember him with Piltdown Man, is that right? Oh, yeah. Now, Davidson Black is the man who gave the name Synanthropus Pekinensis. 
but it was made from pieces of skull found between 1923 and 1937 outside of the capital. But the work had to be stopped when the Japanese invaded Manchuria in 1937. So the work went on from 23 to 37 uh, and then had to be stopped for obvious reasons. Now, what happened? Well, these bones were considered to be very precious by human anthropologists, evolutionists, you know. And so when the Japanese invaded China, um, well, Davidson Black's fellow anthropologists begged him to get the bones out of China for safekeeping during World War II. And so finally, in 1941, the pieces were in fact carefully packaged. Photographs were taken of the pieces in black and white. And the pieces were shipped out of China and promptly lost. The original pieces have never been seen again. And I want to explain a little bit more to you. You see, uh, recent research has proven that Peking Man never existed and has now been reclassified as Homo erectus. I would also point out to you that three years after the work began, in 1926, Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, Jesuit priest, and Dr. Davidson Black, Ph.D., visited the site. Well, they were involved with Piltdown down in 1912, is that correct? And they were involved in 1926 with Peking Man. It is now commonly accepted that they salted both locations. So much for Peking Man. Second photograph, and the last of the series I'll show you. This is the actual photograph of a Neanderthal skull, but it has a French name here because this particular skull was found in France. But Neanderthals were first found in Germany. Anybody know where the name Neanderthal came from? Correct. Tall in Germany means valley. And it was the Valley of Neander, but that was the last name of a man whose name was Joachim Neander, who was a writer of Christian hymns. Joachim Neander was a writer of Christian hymns. And it was in his valley that they found in caves the first Neanderthal remains. Now, I have been diligently trying to find a better map but this is the best map I can find so far. I'm sorry, but I will add to it. Today we have found slightly over 400 Neanderthal remains. Now they are not all complete, but bits and pieces of slightly over 400 different individuals. Now they were first found in the Neander Valley in 1856. Now this map, which is the best I can find at the moment, shows you where Neanderthal remains have been found. They were first found in Germany, but more were found in France, in northern Spain, Portugal, northern Italy, in the Adriatic. They have been found in northern Israel. Neanderthal remains have been found in caves at the foot of Mount Hermon near Tel Dan in northern Israel. More recent finds put them east of the Black Sea, then east of the Caspian Sea, then out into central Siberia. Now, I realize, for those of you that don't have binoculars, this is not going to be easy. But, um, and again, I, maybe even you guys can help me here. Can anybody see, right here, there is a, a white sort of image there in the gray that looks like a banana standing on end. Can, can anybody make out right here? 
looks like a banana almost standing straight up. That is Lake Baikal. It is beautiful. As a matter of fact, a year ago, I was walking on it. You can't walk on water if it's frozen. <laughs> yeah, there was 10 inches of ice on the lake February last year when I was walking on it, and I mean that sincerely. Now, here's the thing. Lake Baikal is the single largest freshwater lake in the world. It contains more water in that one lake than all the freshwater in all the other lakes in the world combined. That includes the Great Lakes. Oh, yes. Now, you can see one side from the other the full length, but you cannot see from one end to the other. And it is a gorgeous, beautiful place. I've been there many times. I've, I've preached on the side of it, and I have walked on it. Um, but the reason I mention it is this. Unfortunately, you can't see it, but east of the Baikal, about right there, is a city called Chita. Chita is a city that I've ministered in, taught in twice. The most recent Neanderthal finds have been found just outside of the city of Chita, which tells us then that Neanderthals went all the way from the Atlantic almost all the way to the Pacific. They didn't just live in Germany. And I think it's a little hard to believe that they were pre-human, subhuman, because they had a brain 13% larger than ours on average today. I think that makes it a little tough to think they're pre-human or subhuman. How about you? They got a bigger brain than we do. And they are 997 to 100% genetically identical to human beings today. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that is less variation from Neanderthals to us than from us to us. Humans today vary 4.5% in genetic information. So Neanderthals fall well within 100% human range. They were human. And they're mentioned in the Bible. I know you might not have brought your Bibles tonight, but if you happen to have your Bibles, would you please turn to Genesis chapter 10. Genesis chapter 10 is the table of nations. It's the list of nations created after the Tower of Babel experience when God divided the human population into 70 languages to 70 people. If you go to Genesis chapter 10, verse 3, you will find a name, Ashkenazi. Ashkenaz, Ashkenazi. This is the ancient name for Germany. There are two great branches of Judaism in Europe. The Sephardic Jews come from Spain. The Ashkenazi Jews come from Germany. And even today, when Jews make Aliyah from Northern Europe to Israel, they're called the Ashkenazi. And so, who are the Neanderthals? These are simply people who came from the Tower of Babel, migrated to North Central Germany, lived in caves for about 200 years. That's all the evidence would support. And after they learned how to live in a new environment, they then simply left the caves and formed what is today modern European culture. Well, let's keep going. You know, I mentioned Neanderthals. Neanderthals are the ones that most people associate with caveman, the terminology caveman. And I do want to add cavewoman. Hello, folks. You know, I mentioned cavemen and cavewomen. It's not because I'm politically correct. It's because if there's no cavewomen, there's no cavemen. Hello? Now, I get this question. Oh, 
you know, well, then are cavemen, cave women, biblical? I'd like to ask all of you a quick question. Please tell me, if God starts the Bible on day one, week one, month one, year one, is there any such thing as prehistoric? That was a good answer, but not many of you. So if God starts the Bible on day one, week one, month one, year one, there is no such thing as prehistoric, correct? Therefore, everything is historic. And cavemen and cave women are biblical. If you will simply open your Bibles, you will find 31 references to men and women living in caves recorded in the Bible. Now, I'm going to give you a few references, and you can take it from there, okay? But just to prove a point, Lot and his daughters in Genesis 19, or the five Amorite kings in Joshua 10, or the children of Israel in Judges 6, or Samson, Judges 15. Now, Samson was a judge of Israel equivalent to a king that would come later, correct? And he lived in a cave. Or what about the great prophet Elijah? You know, we actually think we know the cave that he lived in. I admit there was no brass plaque when we found it. But we think we know the cave that Elijah lived in. And what about Obadiah's 100 prophets in 1 Kings 18? Or the men of Israel, again, at the cave at Michmash in 1 Samuel 13. And again, as one more example, do I not seem to remember that King David lived in a cave for several months at Adullam? Is that correct? So doesn't that qualify uh, Samson as a caveman? Or Elijah as a caveman? Or what about King David? Isn't he a caveman? And then I'd like to point something out to you in the New Testament. Remember the Apostle Paul. He meets the Lord on the road to Damascus. He's struck blind. He goes to Damascus. His sight is returned. He immediately returns to Jerusalem briefly. But after he returns to Jerusalem, please tell me, what's the very next thing he did? Don't remember? He went out into the deserts of Arabia and was taught by the Holy Spirit for three years. Where do you think he lived? in a cave. The, the, the whole area of Israel and of the Arabian deserts and so forth are full, thousands of caves. And people have lived in those caves off and on for thousands of years. And that's where the Apostle Paul lived for three years while he was being taught only of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's a Neanderthal skull. Neanderthal skulls, you know Neanderthal remains when you find these heavy eyebrow ridges. That's very indicative of Neanderthals. Now, Neanderthal bones are called robust. They were heavy-boned people. They were stocky. The men averaged 5'7", the women 5'3". They were shorter, stocky people. They had three times the strength of a modern human being and a brain 10% bigger. Hello? Imagine what you could accomplish. And, and, um, well, usually you find these heavy eyebrow ridges, and they're called robust. They're heavy bone. Now, if you find skeletons that are light bone, they're called gracile, but, but that's thin bone. But, but Neanderthals were robust. And these heavy eyebrow ridges. Now, evolutionists want you to believe that because of these heavy eyebrow ridges, they came from orangutans and gorillas, Correct. But today we now know that's absolutely not true. You see, 
The heavy eyebrow ridges are indicative of humans who live strenuous lives inland, in caves, and suffered from thyroid problems caused by iodine deficiency. They didn't live close enough to the water to get sea fish that had iodine, and they had thyroid problems. But that's all it is. It's not because they came from apes. Now, let's talk for a moment about this proof by ranking. What does it really prove? I said it's the most favorite method of proof of evolutionists, but that it is the second worst method of proof in science, and I mean it. And again, I can teach a child to debunk the whole thing. Think with me about this proof by ranking. What does it really prove? Putting things in a logical order or a logical sequence. Well, I'm not going to ask you to stand up, but hear me. What if I asked you to stand up, and I had everybody come down here joining me, and then I rank you. I put you in a logical order or sequence by your height only. So I'll start with the younger ones, and I'll start with them down here. And then I'll put everybody in order by your height and the taller ones up here with me, okay? Now please tell me, what two things have I just proven scientifically by doing that? And I, I did. Remember, there's no trick questions. I proved two things scientifically by doing this. So when I arrange everybody in the room from short to tall, what two things did I prove? And I'll take them in either order. Well, okay. I, obviously, I mean, it, it, it's not that you're wrong, but I'm going to ask if it's okay if I put it in different terminology. I just want to put it in more scientific terminology. Okay? I have just proven people come in different heights, right? And what is the second thing that I've just proved scientifically? No, because I, that was not a criteria. No, no. If you don't get it, what I just proved is I have the intelligence to do it. So I just proved people come in different heights and I have the intelligence to do it. Now, what would happen if I took the exact same people? Had you come up here, put you in a line across here. But this time, instead of by doing it by your height, what if I did it this time by the month and the day of the month you were born? Again, this has nothing to do with age. I don't care what year you were born. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what your gender is. I don't care how tall or short you are. All I want to know is the month and the day of the month you were born. So I'll start down there with January the 1st and up here December the 31st. And once I put everybody in 12 months, I'll go back and arrange you by the day of the month, 1 through 31. Now, once I have done that, what two things have I proved scientifically? Oh, come on, folks. The first one's a gimme. Thank you. I have the intelligence. That was a gimme. What's the other thing? No, no. I just proved that people are born on different days of the year. <laughs> but please tell me, by lining you up by your height, or by lining you up by the month and day of your birth, please tell me, did I prove anything about your heritage? Did I prove that any two of you are married? Did I prove that any of two of you are, uh, well, father and son, mother and daughter, aunts, uncles, nieces, nephews, or cousins? No. The ability to line things up by size and shape proves absolutely nothing. Think with me for just a moment. What if I were to take a unicycle, put it next to a bicycle, put it next to a motorcycle, put it next to an automobile, put it next to a truck? Did I just prove that trucks evolved from unicycles? But that's a logical order or sequence. You see, it proves absolutely nothing. 
I want to make sure these people never deceive you again. Now, as a matter of fact, let's think about it. This is Alabama. I'm not going to ask if we have any deer hunter in here, but, but, but just, just on the off chance. Um, what if I were to be walking out through the woods and I found a dead deer out in the woods, which had died from old age? Now, please tell me, if there were enough bones left, I could perhaps tell if it was a male or female, because the bones are different. Um, and if there were enough bones, teeth there, I could probably tell you how old it was within one year of dying. But please tell me, if I find the bones, can I prove that it had children? Oh, the, folks, the correct response was not a chance. Not a chance. So, I, again, I want to make sure they never deceive you again. How many of you have seen modern special effects movies? Uh, you know, like TV and so forth. But, but, you know, all these new mutant movies that are out, I mean, are all over the place and so forth. But, but uh, when you see these movies, you, you've got to admit that the modern computer graphics are incredibly good. The technology today is just incredible. This is no longer 1938 claymation, you know? And you've seen a, a person become an animal, an animal become a person, a, one person become a different person and so forth on the screen with new modern computer graphics, and it looks real on the screen. Now, you know it's not, you know it's fiction, but it's so real these days that you can kind of buy into the program. Is that right? I mean, you know, for the purposes of the plot. Now, think with me for just a moment. When an evolutionist takes the skull of a gibbon, an orangutan, a chimpanzee, a gorilla, and a human, and they put them together next to each other, and they say to you, you see how one evolved into the other, the answer would be yes, if you fill in the blanks with your own imagination. If you can fill in the blanks with a computer-generated image in your mind, you can see one evolve into the other. But what is the correct answer? The correct answer is no. I see five objects lined up by size and shape, but that does not prove that one came from the other. And I have a proposition for you. Now, I mentioned on Sunday morning, I don't gamble and I don't condone gambling. So understand what a proposition is, okay? <laughs> I have a proposition for you. You give me one skull each of a thousand real different animals. So one skull of a dog, a horse, a cow, you know, one skull each of a thousand real different animals. And using this method of proof, I will prove to you that apes did not evolve into people. What really happened was apes evolved into whales. Or I'll pick and choose the skulls and I will prove to you apes did not evolve into people. What really happened was apes evolved into elephants. Come on, folks, you let me pick and choose the skulls, put them in an order, and I'll make it appear that way. Is that correct? Thank you. Don't ever let them deceive you again. This is a totally useless methodology. And I have a great question, because Dr. Grady only asks the great questions. Please tell me. Which proof by ranking are we supposed to believe is the right one? Let me explain. You see, I have a whole collection 
of these various proof by rankings from various evolutionary sources. This happens to come from the Smithsonian, and remember that Mr. Smithson was an evolutionist who gave the money to start the Smithsonian, and it teaches only evolution. But this comes from their own website, and in this case, showing a proof by ranking for humans from apes. And I will just explain a couple of things to you, and then we'll debunk it. As a matter of fact, you'll be able to debunk it yourself. So what do we have here? Well, the present is on the right, so that's today. Then supposedly we go back in time, going to the left, in one million year increments. So we go from here back six million years. We have colored bars. There's different colors. But next to each bar is the name of the creature it's supposed to represent. So Homo sapien is over here. Um, anybody remember Lucy? The, the very famous fossil, Lucy? That's Australopithecus afarensis. That's Lucy right there. And the bars show the time at which these creatures are supposed to have evolved into existence, lived, and then became extinct. So the bar supposedly shows how long they were around. And so in the case of Lucy, roughly 3 million to 4 million supposed years ago, right? You now know everything you need to know to debunk that whole thing. And the Smithsonian thinks they're so clever. But first of all, since I'm up here, I'll just start. Now, first of all, do you notice that the solid lines are, well, the solid bars are connected with dotted lines? Now, why do we connect things with dotted lines. It's an attempt to show a relationship that we cannot prove. We think it might be, but we can't prove it. If we could prove that they connected, we'd use solid lines. So dotted lines is an attempt to show a relationship that we think might be right, but we can't prove. Did you notice that everything here is connected with dotted lines? Is that correct? Aha! You see how you can start to debunk this whole thing, okay? Now, another thing here. Did you notice that, uh, now I know the question marks are a little hard to see because they're in red, but, but did you notice there are five question marks? We have one, two, three, four, five question marks. Boy, doesn't that just strike confidence in you? Come on. And did you happen to notice these two back here where the question marks are do not have dotted lines connecting them to any of this, is that correct? And did you happen to notice these three down here. There's a question mark and there's dotted lines, but did you happen to notice there are no dotted lines going from these three to humans? Therefore, why are those five there? Why are these two here? Why are those three there? Well, you can describe it in one word. Just repeat this one word after me, folks. It's the word filler. Come on, ready? Filler. Why are those five there? Because they needed filler. Because think with me, if you remove those five, it looks like there's less evidence for human evolution, correct? So they put them there to, again, deceive you. It's stage magic. It's illusion to make you think there's more evidence for human evolution than they've actually got. How are we doing? And then again, which proof by ranking are we supposed to believe is the correct one? Because if you will look carefully, there are two different proof by rankings here. Remember, 
You can start from humans, and you can go this way until you get to here, but then you don't know where it came from. Or you can go from here this way and get to here, but you still don't know where it came from. There's actually two different proof-by-rankings there if you're just looking carefully. And I also have another piece of information for you. You see, uh, in October of 2013, evolutionists reclassified all five of these as one, Homo erectus. Because even, excuse me just a second there, because even evolutionists agreed that these five were really so closely the same thing that there was no difference more than the five people in here would be different, okay? And so they reclassified them as one. And in one day, they lost four intermediates. How y'all doing? Isn't this stuff fun? I told you how many grab moments fun. But let, I have a whole collection of these. I just want to show you two more. Now, this one takes a little explanation here. Now, this one, instead of being left and right, this one was up and down. And, and because of that, I had to cut it in half, okay? That way you could see it. Because if I left it up and down in the screen, it'd be too small to see. So, so this is the present. This is today. And again, we have the bars. And here we go down, getting older and older. But notice that these four are those four. So this connects right there and then goes down again, six million years, supposedly, right? Now, uh, again, let us just debunk this together. Well, first of all, you'll notice the solid bars. Again, that's Lucy right there. But, but you see the solid bars and the names. But notice, again, dotted lines, correct? Which means we can't prove they actually connect, right? But did you notice how many question marks there are on this one? I, I love this one. That's why I picked it. There are 12 question marks here in the whole thing. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and there's two more I've missed somewhere. But there's 12 question marks there. Doesn't that just strike question? <laughs> just confidence in you, doesn't it? And then did you happen to notice? Did you happen to notice these four right here? That's these four right here. But these four, well, they don't have any dotted lines connecting to humans. Is that correct? So why are they there? Come on, folks. Say it loud. Say it proud. Killer. And then I want to compliment the evolutionists who put this one together because the evolutionists who put this one together were so honest. Please notice there is no dotted line connecting these three to any of them. Hello? Good, huh? And again, I would remind you that in October of 2013, they combined all five of these into one Homo erectus, that file 13. Well, I have one more. It comes from my beloved University of California, Berkeley, where I grew up as an evolutionist. Now, again, here, the present is on the right, like the first one, okay? So the present's on the right, and we go back again in million-year increments back six million years, okay? Now, again, we have solid bars. We have the names of each creature. And here we even decorated it with some skulls. Isn't that neat? Oh, come on, folks. That's really neat. Now, but did you happen to notice that the evolutionists at Berkeley were so honest they didn't even put dotted lines? Hello? Yeah, there aren't even any dotted lines here. And then did you happen to notice back here at 6 million years ago, right there, it says, the chimpanzees 
broke off from the evolutionary line leading to people, and the chimpanzees went that away. <laughs> now, how many of you have heard, uh, I'm not saying you believe it, but how many of you have heard that chimpanzees and humans share 96, 97, 98, 99% the same DNA? I mean, you've heard it. It's ubiquitous today. It's not true. We're going to prove to you it's not true. But, but here it shows that chimpanzees broke off six million years ago and went that away, correct? And it have nothing to do with human evolution. But, but I have another piece of information for you because you see June 13, 2011, Science Magazine, that's the second highest scientific journal in evolution, said that no, the chimpanzees did not break off six million years ago. They broke off 13 million years ago. In one day, they pushed the separation of chimpanzees and people back by 7 million years in one day. Isn't that neat? I think that's really good. And as I said, they then reclassified these two years later as all the same thing, right? Now, ladies and gentlemen, I want to close tonight with the really fun part. I mean, I think we've been having a little fun, but I, want, I told you if you'd stay to the end. Now... This is the cover of Time Magazine, the week of October 9, 2006. If you don't believe me, you can look it up on the Internet for yourself. I was, uh, I, I, well, I'll point out to you, Time Magazine is a totally evolutionary publication. Everything they publish is evolution. Um, now, I was walking down an airport hallway, and I was passing a newsstand, and on the rack, that magazine was for sale. And I'm a trained scientist. I can walk at full speed and see things that people don't even notice or around. And so I'm walking down, and my eye catches this magazine. I took two steps and came to a dead stop. I backed up two steps and took a look at that, and I got angry. I got seriously angry. Now, I can tell you right now, you do not want to see me seriously angry. But the Bible says you can be angry and sin not, correct? Correct? Thank you. I became righteously angry. Now, any Christian, actually anybody ought to, but any Christian certainly ought to get angry when you see this cover. Take a look. Here's a human baby and a young chimp, correct? On the cover, it clearly says how we became human. Again, they're always pushing evolution. But if you cannot read the white print that comes below it, I'm going to put it over here for you. It says exactly here, Chimps and humans share almost 99% of their DNA. New discoveries reveal how we can be so alike and yet so different, and that's exactly what it says on the cover. And I looked at that, and I got righteously angry, not only as a Christian, but as a scientist, because I knew it was an absolute bold-faced lie. It was not true. Now, remember, this was published in October of 2006, correct? And what I did was I went home, and I did the research, Today, I have 66 slides full of reasons it's not true scientifically. Relax. We're not going to do them all tonight. What I did do was I, uh, I took all that information and boiled it down into just a few bullet points for you tonight to make it easy. So what we're going to look at is this. Do apes and people share 96 to 99% the same DNA? Now, the citations are down here. I know it's a little hard to read that bottom one. The citations are down here, and it comes from magazines like Nature Magazine, the single highest scientific journal in the world 
for evolutionists, right? Now, point number one. Remember that similarity may come from a common ancestor, that's evolution, or similarity could come from a common designer, creator, God, okay? So similarity could be a common ancestor or it's a common creator. At this point, it's 50-50 in the sense of philosophically they're equal. Now we want to take a look at which one's right. Point number two. Humans have 23 pairs of chromosomes, but gorillas, chimpanzees, bonobos, and orangutans have 24 pairs of chromosomes. They have an extra pair of chromosomes we don't even have. So please tell me, does that make them better? Excuse me? I don't think so. If you really want to believe that you can tell whether something is superior to something else or not by the number of chromosomes it has, then I'm going to make you feel really inferior because ferns have 480. Does that make them better than us? Okay, point number three, and this is a biggie. The Y chromosome is what makes a boy a boy. In English, that makes it really easy. But a Y chromosome is a boy. Women have X chromosomes, men have XY chromosomes. Now, the Y chromosomes, and again, I'm quoting from Nature magazine, the Y chromosomes of chimps and people are, quote, horrendously different from each other by more than 58%. Human males have 60 genes for gender. Male chimps have only 25. Now, please tell me, if we're 58% different in our gender, gentlemen, how can we only be 1% different? And ladies, I have the number up here for you. Now, you are a bit more, well, I won't say that. Um, you share 69% the same genes for gender, but 31% of your genes are not. So you are one-third different, and men are about two-thirds different than chimps. How you all doing? Now, the chimpanzee genome is 11.5% larger than the human genome. That's all the genetic information in one set of DNA. You see, they have 3.35 billion base pairs. We only have 3 billion. I mentioned earlier, humans can vary by as much as 4.5% in their genetic information and still be human. We do not all have the same genetic information, but we're all human. Now, please tell me, if they have 11.5% more genetic information than we do, does that make them better than us? Come on, the correct response was not a chance. I, I, I love doing mission work, teaching you know, in England, in the UK. I've taught in Wales, England, I've taught in Scotland, Northern, Southern Ireland. I love it over there because they actually speak English. Well, come on, folks, we don't speak English. We speak American. They speak English. I love it going over there. And the English have, you know, it's wonderful to go over there. And they have some great expressions. For instance, the English will say, let's do the maths. You don't understand it. Let's do the mathematics. Let's do the arithmetic. Let's do the maths. Please tell me, if they have an 11.5% more genetic information than we do, how can we only be 1% different? Let's do the maths. Page two. 
In the year 2000, evolutionists cherry-picked just 2.7% of the human DNA, and they didn't even know all the chimpanzee DNA, but they chose specific little tiny pieces, put them up against the, the human DNA, not in the sequence found in chimps, but in the sequence found in humans, and then said that uh, we were, well, we shared about 96, 97, 98, 99. Now think about this for a second. They took only 2.7% of the information to make this decision. Now, please tell me, what rational human being would use only 2.7% of the available information to make a decision? I mean, we all make decisions on less than 100%, but what rational human being would make a decision based on only 2.7% of what's available? And now I want to talk with you about this number, 99%, that was on Time magazine. That number was first published in 1999 with no science to back it up. They just literally pulled it out of thin air. Okay? There was never a scientific basis for 99. But I want to show you some more. Now, in the year 2000, the number was reduced down to 95.2% comparison. But again, we didn't even know all the human DNA until April of 2003, when the Human Genome Project was completed. So in 2000, we didn't even know all the human DNA, and we knew almost nothing of the ape DNA. But they already agreed it wasn't 96, 97, 98, 99. In 2000, they already knew it was down to 95.2, correct? And I want to point out, every living organism on Earth, I don't care whether you're a blade of grass, a bacteria, an insect or a human being shares 25% the same DNA. There are some things that are just necessary for life. And every living organism shares 25%. You don't start comparing at zero. You can start a comparison at 25% because everybody has that much the same. Now, we're almost finished, but I also want to remind you that genetic similarity does not produce spiritual equivalency either. Is that correct? Page three, there's only one more after this. Page three, I want to introduce you to a gentleman whose name is Dr. Jerry Bergman. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I have two doctorates, four degrees. Dr. Bergman has two PhDs, but he has 10 earned degrees. I don't know about you, that kind of humbles me. But his speciality is biology and microbiology. And I want you to know, he's one of us. He's a Christian young earth believer, and he took a look at the two largest catalogs of known mutations in the world, found nearly a half a million known documented mutations, found that only 186 were not detrimental or lethal. Mutations are bad. They're not good. But evolutionists believe that mutations cause an increase in intelligence or complexity by random chance. It's not true. Mutations are mistakes in copying the previously existing information. Mutations always cause things to go downhill. And he found only 186 out of nearly a half a million that were not detrimental. They were not lethal. Now, think with me. That means that 99.96% of all mutations are harmful or lethal. Mutations are the wrong thing for evolution to be true, but that's what they say causes evolution. 
we only make 29% the same proteins. We make 71% different proteins than chimpanzees. Now, if we only make 29% the same proteins, how can we only be 1% different? Let's do the math. Comparing the whole genome, the human genome was known in April of 2003, but we still didn't know the entire ape genome, but in 2003, the number was down to 86.7% the same. Please notice, that comes from the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, USA. It doesn't get higher than that in the United States. It is equivalent to the Russian Academy of Science. And even they said in 2003, the comparison was already down to 86.7. Did you notice the more we know, the more difference we know there is? Now, please tell me, this was in 2003. Please tell me how three years later, Time Magazine had the gall to say it was 99. Could it be they weren't interested in the truth? Could it be they didn't do the research? Could it be they just had an agenda? Could that possibly be? Well, one more page, and this is where you're really going to appreciate tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, considering the entire genomes in September of 2005, now please notice that is 13 months before Time Magazine published 99, we already knew that the number was down to 80.6. Could it be that Time didn't care, didn't do the research, just had an agenda? And I want to bring you up to date. This number is not going to change. We now know the ape DNA, human DNA, inside and out. Today, as of the end of 2013, but today, we now know it's down to 70% and it's going to stay there. You are not 99% the same as a chimpanzee or another ape. You are only 70% the same as a chimpanzee. Oh, yeah, not 96 to 99, only 70. Now, please notice my fingers never leave my hands. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know that on this absolutely absurd method of comparison that you are also 50% the same as a banana. Oh, I find that appealing. Yeah. <laughs> now, you're only 70% the same as a, as a chimpanzee, but you're 50% the same as a banana. Now, the last time I looked, a banana is a plant. And so when you put a banana on your cereal in the morning, is that cannibalism? <laughs> but I am not finished. Ladies and gentlemen, I also want you to know that using this absolutely absurd method of comparison, that you are also 35% the same as a daffodil, or if you prefer the word narcissus, it's the same plant. Um, but you are 35% the same as a daffodil or a narcissus which at least is biblical because the Bible says you're supposed to bloom where you're planted, correct? <laughs> now, a daffodil and a banana are a plant, right? But I'm not finished because I want you to know that based upon this absurd method of comparison, you are also 88% the same as a rat. Well, come on, at least it's a mammal. Hello? Now, you're only 70% the same as a chimpanzee, but you're 88% the same as a rat. But I am not finished, because I also want you to know that based upon this absurd method of comparison, you are 60% the same as a chicken, often referred to as the gospel bird. And 
If you don't understand the reference there, do you know what the belt is around a minister? It's a fence around a chicken graveyard. Now, but I am not finished. I also want you to know that based upon this absurd method of comparison, you are also 70% the same as a sea sponge, which I do think, I do think does beg the question, maybe, maybe we really are related. Well, it's a thought. But, but you have the same percentage of a sea sponge as you do to a chimpanzee. Is that correct? But I am not finished because I have one last one for you. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know, based upon this absurd method of comparison, you are also 88% the same as a sea squirt. Apparently, you don't know what a sea squirt is. Let me explain to you. Let me, I'll show you a picture of a sea squirt. That's what it looks like. Now, you want to pay special attention to this. Now, yeah, now, I, I want you to pay special attention. You're going to love this. I'm, I'm, I'm serious. You're, you're going to want to remember this one. Now, what is a sea squirt? Technically, it's an animal. But once a young sea squirt, it swims through salt water. But when it becomes an adult sea squirt, it attaches to the sea floor converts into a filter feeder like corals and sponges, and the brain dissolves away. As an adult, it doesn't have a brain. She's thinking about that one. <laughs> Think with me for a moment. You are 70% the same genetically as a chimpanzee, but you're also 70% the same as a sea sponge, but you are 88% the same as a rat, and 88% the same as a sea squirt. And so before Pastor comes to close us out, I have only one last question. You decide. Which one are you closer to? Thank you, sir. 